You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. have a Bible, I'll go ahead and invite you to open up to Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Uh, We're going to be in the final set of of verses uh, that make up this incredible book of the Bible. And then next week we move into the season of of Advent. You won't want to miss that uh, as we do begin to uh, sing Christmas songs and intermingle them with other songs of worship leading up to Christmas Eve, our candlelight service. And Uh, exciting things on the horizon. More to come on that uh, as we move to the end of this service. But uh, let me go ahead and pray for us and we'll finish out the book of Colossians. Heavenly Father, thank you for the church gathered, uh, the many means of grace that are right here in front of us, the preaching of your word, the receiving of the Lord's Supper, the collective song of the church, the fellowship of the saints, so many, so many beautiful things that happen in rhythm every seven days that we get to be a part of. And as I've often said, uh, it humanizes us because we don't get to hit some sort of uh, button every seven days at 10 a.m. that will determine that we all feel a particular way uh, coming into this place. Lord, we at times bring really dark experiences in to the church gathered, the lowest of lows. Other times we bring in the highest of highs, great celebration, things happening in life. More often than not, a mixed bag of sorts. So just thank you for this rhythm of coming together every Lord's Day to worship you, to be reminded of your goodness, glory, and grace for us in Jesus. I pray that we would See the beauty of Christ as we sit with your word in front of us this morning and that we would walk away encouraged, comforted, exhorted, whatever you have for us this morning, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So as I mentioned just a a couple minutes ago prior to praying, this morning marks the the last stop on our journey through the book of Colossians as we come to the, the final greetings and closing of this incredible letter for some perhaps reading more like a a postscript, an oh-by-the-way appended note of little to no consequence. Maybe worth a passing glance, it is, after all, part of the Bible, uh, but surely not enough around which to put together a brief devotional, much less an entire sermon, right? I mean, isn't this just Paul's listing of his Facebook friends? How could there possibly be gold in these hills, so to speak? Um, And and yet, as we'll see this morning, there are riches to be mined. As we sit with this morning's passage in front of us, Paul's final greetings and instructions, one of the longest of such lists among Paul's New Testament writings, giving us a window into the beauty of God's grace and what it means to be part of his redeemed humanity and kingdom work. And so if you pick up in verse 7 of chapter 4, Paul continues this letter with these words. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. 
and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Tychicus and Onesimus, the first of eight partners in ministry that Paul mentions, 10 if you include Nympha and Archippus, letter couriers, church planters, hosts of house churches, faithful friends, prayer partners. The, the Apostle Paul was clearly no lone ranger. The early church established not by way of some cult of personality, Rather, a bunch of mostly ordinary people empowered by the extraordinary spirit of God offering up who they were and what they had in faithful service to Christ in the building of his kingdom. And we've been doing it for 2,000 years ever since. A collaborative effort, the ministry of the gospel. In Paul's case, there was Tychicus who had accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey, Acts chapter 20 tells us. Not only likely the primary courier of, of Paul's letter to the Colossian church, but also Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, according to Ephesians 6.21. Entrusted with the scriptures in their original manuscripts, his trustworthiness in part, why we have this incredible letter today. Described by Paul as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord, similar to Paul's description of Epaphras in the introduction of the letter, chapter one, verse seven. A fellow servant, like Paul, having come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. A faithful minister entrusted not only with the responsibility of delivering the God-inspired mail, so to speak, but too with providing clarity and answering questions on behalf of the apostle Paul. Remember, Paul hadn't been to Colossae so that Tychicus was something of an emissary or a, a representative entrusted to paint an honest picture for the Colossian believers of Paul's life, Paul's ministry, Paul's suffering. A responsibility with which Tychicus could be trusted, not only because he was trustworthy, but because he was a friend to Paul. And more than a friend, a brother, a beloved brother. Verse seven, he knew Paul well. He loved Paul deeply so that Paul had no doubt in sending Tychicus that the hearts of the Colossian believers would be encouraged, verse eight. And then there was Onesimus, a testimony to God's sovereign grace, the runaway bond servant with whom Paul's companion letter to Philemon is concerned. A man who either directly stole from Philemon or who abandoned his responsibilities to the detriment of Philemon, only then to have in God's providence, think about this, having run into none other than the apostle Paul and that providential crossing of paths a long way from home for both Paul and Onesimus. And Philemon became a Christian. Described by Paul, verse nine, as our faithful and beloved brother. Paul's letter to Philemon, an exhortation to receive Onesimus back as a beloved brother. He's one of you, verse nine, part of this new humanity in Jesus Christ. And speaking of this new humanity, verse 10, Paul goes on, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Aristarchus was from Thessalonica, a man who became something of a traveling companion to Paul. 
My fellow prisoner, Paul says, perhaps meaning uh, Aristarchus himself uh, had suffered the chains of imprisonment in solidarity with the apostle Paul. Perhaps meaning that he was there for Paul, though not in chains himself in the midst of the suffering and sorrows of Paul's imprisonment. After all, we know that Aristarchus was with Paul in the midst of a number of incredibly intense situations. Assuming this to be the the same Aristarchus cited in Acts chapter 19, he was with Paul during the riot that took place at Ephesus where Paul exposed the folly of worshiping graven images, putting Demetrius's shrine-making business in serious jeopardy and sending practically the entire city into an uproar. Aristarchus, one of the ones who was actually dragged into the theater that day. Aristarchus was also on board the ship that transported Paul to Rome in Acts chapter 27, a ship that ended up in pieces at the bottom of the sea. The riot at Ephesus, peril on the high seas. Aristarchus was was with Paul in some of his darkest nights of the soul. A comfort to Paul, verse 11, who himself, the apostle Paul, uh, at times was susceptible to discouragement, to sorrow. We all know those beloved brothers and sisters in Christ who have faithfully walked with us through our own struggles and sorrows. Perhaps some of us have had the honor and privilege of being an Aristarchus to someone else, blessed to be present with others in and through their own dark nights of the soul. So that maybe one simple sermon application this morning would be to shoot a text to someone who's been an Aristarchus to you, to give them a call. Or to those that, to whom you've been an Aristarchus, to shoot a text or, or pick up the phone and call and to say, Thank you for the honor and privilege of walking with you through one of your dark seasons, your darkest moments. And if it was truly dark, you probably don't even have to give the the circumstance or situation in that conversation. And then there was Mark, uh, the cousin of Barnabas, the same Mark having deserted Paul on his first missionary journey, which led to a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas as to whether or not to take Mark with them on a subsequent missionary journey so that Paul and Barnabas ended up parting ways. Barnabas with Mark and Paul with Silas, reminding us that the best of men are men at best. As we look at this morning's passage, the gospel having not only reconciled Paul and Mark, but having brought them together again in public ministry. Mark, not only a, a comfort to the imprisoned Paul in Rome, but according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, a man who, whom Paul came to see as very useful to him in his final stretch of life and ministry. Not to mention that Mark would go on to write a book of the Bible as the Lord clearly wasn't done with him when he walked away from Paul years prior. Mark's story, I don't know if it hits you this way, it's so incredibly encouraging to me. For those who who need to hear that perhaps the current chapter of life isn't the last one to be written. Our God is a God of redemption. It's been written all over the pages of the book of Colossians. A God who loves to bring forth beauty out of the ashes of, of brokenness. And then there was justice, verse 11, who for understandable reasons didn't wanna go by his Jewish name, Jesus. That alone probably telling of what a quality disciple he was. 
It's about all we know about justice other than that he stood with Aristarchus and Mark alongside Paul as men of the circumcision. Jewish men bought in and invested in Paul's ministry of the gospel to the Gentiles. Praise be to God for that. And speaking of Gentiles... Paul goes on in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Epaphras, a man of prayer, a man who who struggled and toiled in prayer. Perhaps a man who, who knew something of his own anxiety for all the churches, like the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Right, Paul, we know Paul agonized over the, the well-being of the churches that he had planted, longing to see those churches fl- uh, flourish for God's glory and the good of God's people. An internal weight of suffering that Paul carried throughout his life. Epaphras too, a man who longed to see the church flourish on his knees that the Colossian believers might stand mature and fully assured of the will of God, verse 12. His heart in alignment with the apostle Paul's heart for a young church under the threat of false teaching. So that here we see that the the fight against the winds of false doctrine, it doesn't solely rest with the ministry of teaching, though it does, but to the ministry of prayer. So then another takeaway from this morning's passage would be, may may we be known as a people who not only put hands and feet and a mouth to the gospel, but also knees to the gospel. Epaphras was a man of prayer, a man who labored hard for Christ's beloved, verse 13, struggling with all of Christ's energy that Christ powerfully worked within him to go back to that language of chapter one, verse 29. And not just for those in Colossae, as Epaphras wasn't zoomed in on one single expression of the bride of Christ, but for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis, likely involved Epaphras was in the the planting of those churches as well, reminding us that that Jesus's redemptive work, it's not restricted to any one local expression of the bride of Christ, that believers throughout uh, the world and, and throughout redemptive history are all part of this new humanity in Jesus even the ones we disagree with on secondary and tertiary issues. I don't know about you, I I think you would agree with this as well, but some of my dearest, dearest friends are invested in other churches, in other cities, and are among the, the greatest encouragements to me in the faith. It's what the gospel does. It unites people throughout the world who share a primary identity in Christ, this body knit together in love to the head who is Jesus, the global expression of God's sovereign grace. All of us, in some sense, we're Onesimus in that we've been brought in. Paul here declaring as much in his inclusion this global expression of God's sovereign grace, this inclusion of both Jews and Gentiles in the parting words of this letter. Gentiles like like Luke, verse 14, the beloved physician, one of Paul's closest companions. There with Paul, not only on some of Paul's missionary journeys, but there when Paul awaited his final trial, according to 2 Timothy chapter four. Like so many others, a, a comfort to Paul. 
in the midst of some of Paul's darkest nights of the soul, which is more than we can say about Demas, verse 14, the cautionary tale of the morning, here included among Paul's friends and and fellow servants, and yet a man who would go on to fall in love with this present world, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 tells us, and would eventually desert the apostle Paul. The word desert, not meaning just to abandon, but to leave in the lurch. Can't can't go so far as to say that Demas made a, a shipwreck of his faith, After all, Paul says that Demas deserted him, not that Demas deserted Jesus. Not to mention that Mark did the very same thing to Paul and Barnabas, did he not? And was ultimately restored. The Bible, it's silent on the matter. However, we can say that Demas, if but for a moment, lost his way. His eyes fixed not on the beauty of Jesus, but on the things of this world. My guess would be that for for many of us, that probably doesn't uh, fan into flame in our hearts the kind of sobriety that it should, that language just abstract enough to bypass our hearts, falling in love with this present world. My guess would be that it, it probably hits a little more close to home when we add concrete terms to it, when we consider the notion that perhaps Demas loved comfort, perhaps Demas loved wealth and security, those things calling to him like a, like a siren song, just loud enough to draw him into the undertow. So that another application or takeaway from a passage like this would be, oh, that, that we wouldn't abandon the love that we had at first. Revelation chapter two, verse four. Paul goes on with these words of encouragement. In verse 15, he says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha, one of the many women in the days of the early church who played a significant role in the spread of the gospel and the church's establishment. Right? Paul provides a list of such women in Romans chapter 16. For Nympha, it was the opening of her home in a time when the early church didn't have buildings in which to, to meet. Like Lydia, Acts chapter 16, the first recorded conversion on European soil. A core group member of the church in Philippi, Lydia was, who opened her home to the earliest gatherings of the first European Christian church. I'm so grateful, and I know many of you are as well, for, for those in our church, and you know who you are, I won't say you by name and embarrass you, who have opened your homes to the glory of Christ, whether in formal ministry environments or simply informally, having people in, creating space for people to experience the joy of fellowship, the power of prayer, the truth of God's word, the hope of the gospel. Paul goes on in verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Here Paul calling for the exchanging of letters between two bodies of believers with the aim that they might remain established in the faith a circulation of letters, some of which would become a part of the canon of scripture, all of which would serve to edify and encourage believers in the days of the early church. The sharing of such letters, a testimony to both the timeless and timely truths therein, that that the situation and, and circumstances on the ground and in the details mustn't be identical in order for us to glean something from Paul's writings 
for Christ's glory and our good. It's why we can sit with the book of Colossians ourselves and walk away encouraged, edified, exhorted. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Put yourself in Archippus's shoes, sitting among the gathering of believers in the reading of this letter aloud and hearing your name and with it an exhortation. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I can only imagine that in the reading of this letter, that, that these words would have put steel in the spine of Archippus's soul that day, fanning into flame a zeal to, to keep laboring hard for the sake of the gospel. It's a good word for each and every one of us. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Whatever the Lord has given you to do in Christ, be it an office of the church or the opening of your home like Nympha, Fulfill the ministry. Be faithful to the end. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Paul continues in verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Paul would sign his letters as a mark of authenticity in a day when forged counterfeit letters circulated on the regular. As Paul declares in 2 Thessalonians 3.17, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. This is a letter we can trust, commissioned by the risen Lord with apostolic authority. Speaking of Apostles, Paul goes on to say, remember my chains. Perhaps these words, an exhortation to the Colossians to pray for Paul in the midst of his imprisonment and sufferings. Or maybe it was a call to, to solidarity, to not be ashamed of Paul's sufferings for the sake of Christ. Or maybe Paul's way of declaring his love for Jesus and his love for them as believers as an encouragement to them and his willingness to, to suffer for Christ's glory and their good. Or maybe simply Paul's way of fortifying the church, his way of declaring that this is a Jesus worth standing for no matter what it may cost us. Just go back and look at the great hymn of Christ in Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse 15. That this is a gospel that cannot be bound even when its most faithful witnesses are bound in chains. 2,000 years later, we're doing this because the gospel went forth to the four corners of the earth. Which brings us to the final words of this incredible letter. And you see these words in most of Paul's writings toward the end. He says, grace be with you. A grace sufficient to sustain God's people in the midst of our weaknesses and sufferings. Whatever you bring into this place this morning a grace sufficient to sustain God's people when the siren song of this world rings loudest and maybe it's ringing loudest for you right now as you come into this place this morning. As Paul says elsewhere in one of his letters to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's exhaustive language, isn't it? All sufficiency, 
all things at all times in every good work. Or as Paul would say in his own experience of God's grace and his sufferings, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, these famous words, but he, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. These words were prayed, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes ago in the kids' wing as the kids' ministry team was preparing to serve back there, that every morning God's grace is sufficient, that every morning God's mercies are new, including this very morning, no matter what you may be going through. And my goodness, the highs are very high this time of year and the lows are very low. makes these words that we sing from time to time all the sweeter. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. Redeemed by grace, sustained by grace. Amazing grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants us to know it this morning, this day. Paul wants us to taste it this morning, this day. Paul wants us to receive it, to take it in this morning, this day. I heard it put once by a, a pastor and scholar that Paul begins his letters with grace to you. And then he presents the content of the letter, which is God's grace to us, his word received. And then as we walk away from the scriptures, to step out into the world, Paul says, grace be with you. There's grace in sitting with the word and there's grace as we step away from it out into the world, whatever may be waiting for us. And so I just wanna pray for us in a moment that we would taste and know and receive God's grace this morning, afresh, anew, yet again. It's there for the taking. We get to sing of this grace in just a moment with our collective song. Listen around you to the saints. Don't just hear your own voice. Hear others singing of this God of grace. Soak it in to your eardrums. We have an opportunity to receive of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you not to partake of the bread and the cup, rather that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But for those who have come to Christ, I would invite you to take the bread uh, representing the broken body of Jesus, to dip it in the cup representing his shed blood whenever you're ready to do so over the course of these last three songs. There are communion stations here to my right and left. There's a gluten-free communion station back there in the back by the water cooler. Grace, as you receive of the bread and the cup, I pray that that word would just rest on you. Saved by grace, sustained by grace. Even the taking in of that meal every Sunday when we come together is a reminder that God sustains his people. He carries us. He gives us the nourishment we need to keep going. I'm gonna give just a moment or two before we dive into our collective song with lyrics on the screen just for all of us to sit in this room with the so what of our time in the scriptures. Whatever the Lord would have for you, whether it's turning to him for forgiveness for the first time, whether it's asking the Lord, 
Who, who do you want me to encourage by way of a text or a call who's been an aristocrat to me? Perhaps just being encouraged by the, the stories of God's grace in this morning's passage, like that of John Mark, who was restored to ministry and was with Paul in his last days to be reminded that the Lord's not done with you. He's not done with me. There's work to be done for the kingdom. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.